Welcome to the Evolving Advisor Podcast, dedicated to equipping independent financial advisors with the tips, insights, and knowledge to help you achieve success in business and life. Host Jeff Concepcion shares 30 years of experience as an advisor, entrepreneur, and CEO. Join Jeff and the industry's top thought leaders as they help you evolve from where you are today to where you want to be tomorrow. Now here's your host, Jeff Concepcion. Hi, this is Jeff Concepcion and welcome to the Evolving Advisor podcast. I have a good friend and a great professional in the industry that I'm excited to have joining us today. His name is Daniel Prewin. Daniel has 24 years of experience in helping families invest and grow their wealth, protect their assets, and plan for future generations. He's part of a very, very interesting organization that's had massive success in a very specific part of the industry, working with the Latin American client. The name of the firm is Global Financial Services, and he's going to tell us a little bit about his practice and his organization and how they've had such tremendous success in the industry. Daniel is a member of Global's Board of Directors. He holds a BS in chemical engineering from the University of California at Berkeley and an MBA from Harvard Business School. He also attended a fantastic wedding just, uh, I think, a week or two ago, which was his son's wedding. Maybe we'll get a little inside scoop on that. But Daniel, thanks for joining us. Jeff, thank you so much for having me. And as always, I'm, uh, I'm smiling here every time I talk to you. It's a pleasure. So every time Daniel and I speak, and one of our partners, Lou Camacho, is typically on those, Daniel starts off our conversation by saying what? When a Cuban, a Mexican, and a Puerto Rican walk into a conversation, they say. Exactly. Uh, except that exactly. I'm not, I am not Mexican. Uh, he is I'm Venezuelan. Venezuelan. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's how we started. Yes. Yes, Exactly. Uh, so we like to have a little bit of humor, uh, but it's it's been wonderful learning more about you and your shop, Daniel, and the tremendous success you guys have had in a marketplace that a lot of folks have found difficult to crack. So why don't we wind back a little bit? I'd love to hear, I know you kind of started off in consulting, but I'd love to hear your career path and what led you into wealth management. Well, I, I got started in the industry in a very non-traditional way. Just very briefly, my background starts with uh, six years working for the Procter & Gamble company as a product developer. Then I, I got my MBA. And even though I really, really wanted to get a job in this industry, and I worked really hard at trying to get a position with Goldman Sachs, I was never offered uh, a position. So um, I went into management consultant with McKinsey & Company, and I worked for them for a little over three years. What, what's important is that I was a good consultant, and good consultants never make it to partner. Only excellent consultants make it to partner. So uh, I really tried again to get into the industry. Um, I was offered a position as an equity analyst with a top firm, but I was going to, to cover the auto industry, which was of no interest to me. And uh, I wanted to do technology, but <laughs> their head of research was in charge of technology. So I, that didn't work out for me. Lehman Brothers offered me a position, but I decided not to go with them. And I guess I should be thankful for that. And uh, lastly, I was in touch with one of the three co-founders of my firm. And he told me, we're going to teach you how to hunt elephants, meaning we're going to teach you how to go after very important and large accounts. And I, I said, yes. And that was 24 years ago. I'm still here 
my position has evolved, my responsibilities have evolved, and I've learned a great deal. And I hopefully I can uh, share a few things that that will be of use to the listeners. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about elephant hunting and or business development in the early days as you're sort of launching a practice. Uh, what were some of those responsibilities? Were you helping out with firm clients a bit? Were you prospecting on your own initially? And what did all that look like? Well, I, I started prospecting on my own. The idea was that I would start the Latin American business. The three founders come from Mexico and they had had significant success in attracting business from Mexico. So the, the logical extension was for me to go and start the Latin American business. Why? Because I was born in Venezuela. I, I was raised in Venezuela until I was about 18 years old and I, my family was there. So I attempted to really crack that market. But one of the things that everybody has to learn going into this industry is that there are three things that are very, very important. One is support. The other is a little introspection. And the third is the skill set. And I did none of the three. I really didn't have much support, even though I was invited to to learn about how to uh, hunt elephants. I was given just a couple of pointers and off you go. Introspection, I, I never really stopped for a second to think, well, I am a management consultant. I am an engineer. What do I know about trying to uh, start relationships with wealthy individuals? And the third one is that my skill set, at least at the time, was not developed. I was not the right person to really try that. So what really happened was that I was not very successful at all. In so say it, it sounds like a recipe for disaster. And yet 24 years later, you're still here and you're, now you're thriving. So we need, to, <laughs> we need to figure out where you sort of crossed over with the, whatever gap existed early on. Yes, I, I think that the crossover comes much later. But we realized, much to my dislike, because I really thought I, I, I was going to make it, but uh, the, the three founders had, I'm going to say, little patience. And after less than a year, we pulled the plug. And I became just a part of the firm rather than a, a prospector. And I just became a very analytical part of the firm. I started working with clients, learning to talk to clients, learning to what, what is it that is important to them, what they like and what they dislike. And I started developing my own skill set, which I didn't have before. The, the introspection that I needed got completed basically the hard way. And I, I provided support rather than I received support. And in that, if you want to call it a secondary role, which nobody likes to be in one of those, but I was for a long, long time, I learned a lot. I learned the business. I learned to deal with clients. And I learned to deal with the people in my business, in my company. So that, that really allowed me to grow let me tell you, when, when I started, assets under management at Global were about $1.5 billion. The three founders started at Goldman Sachs, and after a number of years, they moved over to Kidder Peabody, and then they started Global in 1980, uh, 1994. I joined them in 1996, late 96. After a number of years, the path was, was really on its way, and uh, assets continued to gather. There was also pretty good organic growth. 
And uh, today we are a $4.2 billion asset under management company. And the person that I that I was the, the sidekick to, uh, Robert, my, my old partner, we worked a process by which uh, I ended up buying his book a number of years ago, not, not that many, but about four years ago. And, uh, but that worked, we, we had a ramp up to that. We worked it in such a way that it was seamless to clients. They never noticed that he was getting out or that he was gone because they were already working with me. And uh, today I manage a book that is $1.2 billion along with my younger partner. And I have the same ideas for him that Robert had for me. Eventually, uh, he'll he'll take over me, and uh, we have already brought yet another generation. So we're always thinking ahead to the next step. Yeah, that's really incredible. So some interesting stuff maybe to to delve into. So the fact that the firm at its inception had you know close to a billion and a half in assets, the fact that you guys have nearly tripled in that time frame, the fact that you're doing it in a marketplace that most would find challenging to to access and to serve and to create that kind of scale, all just extremely impressive, extremely impressive. And the other thing that's kind of neat is you mentioned that you started off in a kind of a business development role, and they then moved you into more of a support role, but it allowed you to develop a, a skill set that really made you invaluable to the shop. And I'm sure that that business development acumen came because I know you've obviously helped to bring in many assets to the firm as, as time has gone on. So it's great that they had a pathway other than just purely business development in the beginning that's allowed you to, to thrive and have such success. Yes, uh, that, that was very important because one thing is to get into the industry the way I did, which was non-traditional, as I said, versus people who attended you know wonderful training programs like they did at Goldman Sachs or many people have attended at UBS or Merrill Lynch or any of those uh, you know fantastic firms that they really teach you. I, I learned on the go and I learned by spending. So uh, it, it was very important, but I did develop the skill set and I did develop the ability to market, to open new relationships, to bring additional assets, to retain assets, and to cross generations. So talk a little bit about the client profile because it's pretty unique. So what yes. the demographic looks like, what kind of an average client would look like to the firm, and maybe how do you guys stand out because you've been so successful in the space, the services that you're providing, the the way that you've sort of embraced this marketplace and the way it's embraced you. I'd love to understand that. Yes, the, the client profile uh, is, is very important. Well, number one, the clients are by and large Mexican, Mexican nationals who reside in Mexico. They are not Mexicans who are residing in the United States. So what makes it very unique and very special is that to succeed in, the, in that situation, you have to be seen basically as an insider. Imagine that you're selling to a Silicon Valley technology uh, entrepreneur. It's really hard if you don't understand what makes her tick. Well, it makes it really hard to sell to a Mexican national if you don't understand the pressures that they, they're facing, and a lot of those are political, social, you, you really have to be able to you know, go over that bridge. You have to be able to talk to them in their own terms. The fact that every single one of us speaks Spanish as our native language, it's, it's critical. 
And uh, what does the, the average client look like, you were asking? Well, <laughs> many of our clients are now older. They weren't so <laughs> when the firm started. But uh, I, I have clients that I've known for the 24 years that I've been here. Uh, the first client ever that uh, one of the partners had that signed up in 1976 at Goldman Sachs remains a client of ours. Yes, he's 95 years old. Uh, he's a brilliant person in perfect mental shape. And I speak to him every two weeks. Uh, he's my client now. Um, wonderful person. I, and that's that's the other thing. We're Latinos. So again, to us, feeling as becoming part of the family is critical. That is something that, that I've been able to really do extremely well. Some of my clients consider me a, a member of the family. I've 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 been involved in medical decisions. I've been involved in uh, wedding planning. I've been involved in a number of, of situations that then have absolutely nothing to do with either investment management or uh, succession planning. None of that. You become a part of their family. And there's a saying that I learned from one of the three partners, and I'm sure it's pretty prevalent in the sense that our Latino clients do business with us first and foremost because they can trust us. They feel they can trust us. Number two, because they like us. But number three, and it's a distant one, it's because they think we can make money for them. In general, the, the Latino client, the Mexican client, is very prone to fixed income, less so to equities. So if you look at, uh, if you take an x-ray of our uh, AUM, uh, it's in the close to 60% is fixed in income, 40% is equities. And they're very, very conservative. The way they look at this is that they tend to be very wealthy. And whatever money they have with us is money that they want to keep in hard currency, not in their local currency. And that it's sort of a nest egg that has to be kept very secure. So that makes my firm a very conservative place. Yeah, that's really interesting because uh, there are some unique aspects. I suspect it's sort of unique cultural aspects, right? That there's sort of a bias towards preservation, a bias towards fixed income, the relationship part, I think we could argue is consistent, but it makes me think about sort of like a hierarchy of relationships. So you've kind of got a, someone who's a customer who maybe buys something at some point in time. You've got a client who you provide advice to, but there's this whole other level. And if we're sticking with C's, you know, customer, client, maybe confidant, right? Just sort of a uh, a member who's trusted and close to the family who they rely upon for financial and non-financial advice and guidance. And when you escalate to that level, there's kind of a stickiness and a richness to the relationship that I also would suspect is great for referrals. I assume some yeah. of your growth has come from clients who love and trust you at that confidant level that introduce you to others. Yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, that is the source of, of growth. Our business is, uh, it comes almost 100% from referrals, whether that is from internally within the family. Um, I, I love to speak about this 95-year-old client of ours. Uh, his family is so large, so large, and they've been so successful that I am his advisor, but I'm also advisor to several of, of his children, and he has many. <laughs> and he, I'm advisor to some of his grandchildren, 
and he has about, I believe it's like 60 grandchildren. And uh, I'm in the process of meeting the great grandchildren by now, although they're very little. But yes, the, the, the referral that, that starts to happen, uh, it's, it's very phenomenal. Uh, yesterday, we, no, sorry, uh, on Friday, we, we received a message from one of our existing clients. He's a younger guy. He's in, he's in his very early 50s. And uh, he put us in touch with his father, who it's also now referring another lady who, who is in her 80s. And uh, so, you know, we, 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 we do get a significant amount of referrals uh, internally from within the network, be it family members or very close friends. So I have a question totally off the topic on the laws of relativity. You noticed a moment ago, you said a gentleman, a young gentleman in his 50s, when you were in your 30s, that dude would have been on his last leg. And now as we mature, <laughs> the law of relativity tells you that this guy in his 50s is a young guy. So I just, it's an, it's an interesting observation I'm making as a gentleman in his 50s <laughs> as well. Well, no, uh, you got me. You got me. And if if the listeners want to want to do the math, well, I worked for six years at PNG and three years at at McKinsey and twenty four here. That makes it uh, thirty three years total. Assume that I graduated uh, at twenty two. Uh, well, then add my my MBA and whatever. So I'm in I'm in my late fifties. Hey, look at fifty five is the new is the new twenty five, buddy. Keep that in mind. Keep it, you haven't Absolutely. even you haven't even hit your prime yet. So Absolutely. Thank you. I, I want to talk to you about reinvestment. One of the things uh, that strikes me about your shop is sort of the focus on talent and technology and reinvestment. So there are firms that kind of run their business to to maximize, you know, current income. And there are others that really think about the client experience and, and talent and what they can deliver. And from a distance at least. You know, as I hear you speak about the firm, it seems that Global has really invested in talent and in the organization, the way you have this structure with senior advisors and junior advisors and, and you know, a component of research there. Talk about what sort of the philosophy and methodology is as it relates to reinvesting back in the firm in order to provide an ultimate benefit you know, and experience to the clients. Absolutely. One of the most important things to consider when running the firm is that the firm is, is made out of human beings and their well-being is, is critical. So we have invested in, in having a very positive environment. We have almost nil uh, turnover. Uh, we had one of, one of the guys that started just uh, probably a year before I did. Uh, after 20-something years, he, he left us and uh, he returned. We, we, you know, he's been back for a year now. He, he left us for three years and he didn't like it. He wanted to come back home. So what, what we really have done is that we have created the environment in which each one of us is able to serve clients to the fullest we can. I speak personally of the relentless pursuit of, of service. It is something that it is achieved because we're more focused on the service we're providing, on the process, than in the profitability. And let me explain that. If you're a trader and you're very concerned and very focused on, I'm going to make $100,000 out of this trade, believe me, the majority of the times you will miss the mark 
or you will even lose money. If you do the same thing with clients and you focus on how much money I'm going to make out of clients, you will miss the mark. The clients are not steel as it is to General Motors. Clients are human beings and they need to be treated accordingly. Service comes first. And I know everybody talks about service, but I, I really believe in it. I concentrate on the process of service because in getting the process correctly, everything works out in the end. The firm is profitable. We've never lost a dime. We Quarter after quarter, we turn a profit. Why? Because we're worried about our clients and we're worried about our employees. The, that that's our focus. It's it's so simple yet so complicated at the same time. No, that makes good sense. It makes good sense. You know, one thing I was hoping maybe you could explain a little bit is you mentioned that four years ago the senior partner who you had tag team with had retired out and you had acquired his book or his practice. How yes. involved was Global in that process? And can you just at a high level, not a lot of details, explain a little bit about what that looked like? Because I have conversations with people daily. I had someone call me this past weekend from uh, New York, a younger advisor who was wanting to buy out the senior partner. He hasn't, he didn't have the tenure that you did. He wasn't there as long. And you, can you talk a little bit about how the firm might've been involved and what the conversations were like for you to step up to take over that book? Yes. Uh, the, it, it's very funny in that the, the firm itself was not involved at, well, it was, it was barely involved. Of course, the firm was aware what was happening, and they were on board uh, with my buying the book. But the the negotiation happened between my old partner and myself, and uh, and another person. Uh, I, I do have a partner in the book. Uh, both of us own half of it. At the time, I was I was somewhat senior to him, and we bought it together. So. Today, we, we, we are an equal partners in the book. But the way it worked was, I think it was very smart. And uh, I have to grant it that uh, it was our old partner who came up with a very smooth transition process. He was here. He, he was here every single day, but he decided to move to a secondary uh, uh, position, if you may. He was behind the scenes. He was behind the curtains. He allowed over time more and more and more to be handled by us. Every once in a while, he would talk to clients. He would explain things to clients. He would send emails to clients. But little by little, he, he went from being the person to being behind the scenes. That transition was done over three years. Actually, it, it, it happened over many more because I took I started taking over relationships way, way before. And, you know, in this business, you know, the, some clients feel comfortable with some people and, and not with others. And some some clients took to me. They, they enjoyed talking to me. So but every single client knew me from the beginning. And little by little, uh, he faded to the back. Uh, my partner, Juan, and I uh, moved to the front. The, the conversations started to happen constantly with us. The decisions were being made with us in conjunction with our old partner. He was still here every single day. He was still talking to us. He was still providing input. 
but it was very smooth. And uh, in the end, when he decided to retire in 2016, it was done by calling every single client. And uh, all of us would be on the phone and we, we would basically do a group hog. And the client knew that he or she was going to stay with a, with people that she already knew that uh, she was already getting numbers from and making decisions with. So it was it was a very comfortable transition to the client. Yeah, what you just and, described, what you just described is perfect, right? Because a transition is not an event. It's it's a process. It's something that takes place over time. And when you use that word faded, that's literally the word that I use to the clients. It shouldn't be anything abrupt. It's every day they're getting a little bit more exposure to Daniel, a little bit less exposure to me. And eventually it's not that they're not fond of me, but I have so little interaction in the day to day that you and your current partner have sort of become the advisor of fact. And they didn't even realize that it happened because it was such a gentle, slow. So that was a great description of how not to have breakage and how clients can feel super comfortable as relationships transition. So yes. I, appreci I appreciate and, the way you described that. And it is important to, to realize that given the, the, the amount of wealth our clients have and the fact that our clients uh, being in Mexico, you would think, well, they're really not uh, covered by a lot of institutions. It's actually quite the opposite. Every single large US institution is after them but then every single Swiss bank is after them and many other international banks are after them. So it is very unusual to find a client that has a, a, an exclusive relationship. Right. But what they, what they complain about constantly is, oh, my banker at such and such firm is no longer there. I'm being uh, managed by a different person now. And they don't like that. In our case, it was a very smooth transition. So a quick question for you. You, you had this experience in the M&A world, which was sort of an internal one, a transition. Is, yes. is M&A, because of the demographics we're looking at in our industry, something on Global's radar as an enterprise? Is it something you guys are contemplating or have done? Or could you see inorganic growth as part of the strategy for the future for your shop? We, we, have, uh, we have done M&A. Over the years, uh, in 2010, the firm was 50% uh, uh, of the firm was sold to a local group in Houston, and that created a uh, I'm, I'm going to call it a waterfall of other M&A events. Uh, just very briefly, the firm that bought 50% or controlling interest in, in Global at the time it was 50.1 in itself was a public company, and they also had other interests. And what happened was that a private equity firm approached them and took them private. But in that process, we went along. So we changed ownership once again. And later, the private equity did a roll-up. And uh, so we found ourselves in a new position. And after that roll-up, our sister companies were sold out and we remained uh, a partner with a with, with a private equity firm while we were trying to develop yet a merger with with another firm and uh, that did not work and uh, so we we've had several several m a events uh, throughout the years mergers sales and uh, it's something that we have contemplated doing uh, it is it is very important 
to consider it. And we are always considering the, the right group, the right set of people. And that starts not with a book. We, we really don't focus on the book. We are focusing on getting the right people who will fit with us, who will fit with the, with the way we do things that will we'll feel comfortable here and then that they will grow with us. And it is, it is a focus of what we're doing and what we want to do in the future. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great point because it's funny when people think about, cause it's exciting, right? You think about growing inorganically and here you guys have worked so hard. And if, if global was to buy a smaller RIA and you tuck in a half billion or a billion dollars in assets, and that's really exciting, but what's more critical than that and people don't always focus on it is, is it a cultural fit? You guys have something there that's working. You've got a way that you do business. You have a way that you treat clients, a relentless pursuit of great service, which you described earlier. So it's not just about the numbers. You also have to make sure that as in tucking in these assets or if Global was to buy your smaller RIA, that it's additive, that there's sort of an alignment there and that there's a value system in place similar to yours. So there's kind of the numbers part, but all the other stuff is sometimes even more important. It is very much true. And we're not trying to tell others our way is the only way. We want to share our great way of doing things. But we will learn from whomever comes in. We just want them to to feel what we have, to get comfortable with what we have. Because we're very certain that in other places, they will not find what we have. No, that makes that makes good sense. So last question I want to ask you, I mean, obviously, you've had great success in your career. You've been part of a very, very successful firm at Global. As you think about the future, not only for your private practice, what are your aspirations there with your own book of business? And maybe what are some of your aspirations to see Global continue to have great success in the in the marketplace that you serve? Well, my goals for the future remain being the preferred advisor to Mexican clients, we we have done a phenomenal job. But the one thing that we emphasize, that I particularly emphasize, is that this is an evolving business. You cannot rest and, and feel comfortable. You have to continuously feel what the clients are seeking. Wh- what are they interested in? What What is important to them? So I want to continue that evolution into the future. And by continuing that evolution, uh, I have had my own personal evolution. I went from, uh, say, a helper to one of the managers of the firm. So I'm I'm concerned about the future of the firm. I'm very concerned about having the best possible environment for the employees. And I'm very concerned about communicating to the rest of, of the firm the need to evolve and look into what the clients need and what the next generations need. That's very important. Uh, our clientele may be slightly older on average than, than some of the books that you see in the U.S. And it is critical that we continue to, to work with them and help the next generation. So those are some of my objectives uh, going into the future. No, that sounds wonderful, Button. Thank you so much for for sharing what you shared. And I, I'm going to ask one question. I'm going to give the caveat, lest anyone think that it's politically inappropriate. I happen to be Cuban. I have a, a friend in our shop who's Puerto Rican, who's also a, a good buddy of Danny's. So when you mentioned that 
you want to continue to be the preferred advisor to, to Mexican clients, I'm assuming if a little Cuban like myself or a Puerto Rican like Lou knocked on your door, you might find a little shelf space for us as well. Oh, 100%. Uh, I, I, I tend to say Mexican, but I do have clients from Venezuela. I have clients from Panama. We have clients from Chile. Uh, client in Brazil, uh, we do have uh, we have a multitude, and I would love, I would truly love to expand our horizons and include more of Latin America. But thank there, you so much, Bud. Thank you so much. A lot of great thoughts. So it, we've come to that time now, which could be the most exciting. Uh, we conducted this interview in English. We could have perhaps done it in Spanish. I might have struggled a bit, but I think I could have hung in there. But we now are going to have you perform for us. Can you tell us what you're going to be singing today? I'm going to sing Oye Como Va. He's going to sing Oye Como Va. Oye Como Va. Yeah, come on, man. That's it. That's it. That's it. Oye cómo va, mi ritmo bueno pagosa, mulata. Oye cómo va, mi ritmo bueno pagosa, mulata. Oye cómo va mi ritmo bueno pagosa mulata. Oye cómo va mi ritmo bueno pagosa mulata. Thanks for listening to the Evolving Advisor. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and share it with your colleagues. And if you would like to talk about succession planning or practice acquisitions, please drop us a line. We would love to help you in any way we can.